1: live from our nation's capital. and 105.7 FM HD2.
2: Long weekend alert. We get the latest on an optimistic jobs day from Matty Dupler and the latest on the U.S. China front with Mark Ross. Plus a special exclusive interview with DNC chairman and former labor secretary Tom Perez. As well as my exclusive interview with the undersecretary of state for economic affairs, Keith Croc, some optimistic jobs numbers on the economic front. Did you see this? President Trump taking a victory lap of sorts after the jobs gains smashed estimates last month as the lockdowns eased while initial unemployment filings for the last week were less than impressive. The unemployment rate, folks, declined to 11.1% from 13.3% just within the last month. Now, remember... The consensus was 12.5%. So, I mean, that is, that is really a full, nearly percentage point and a half decline from what the economists thought was going to happen. So the unemployment rate, 11.1%. Again, that's a decline from 13.3%. And that was enough to have President Trump feeling very, very optimistic. But, and you know, I'm an, I'm an optimist, but we gotta be real as well. And that is before... All of the uh, uh, states have started some some additional uh, closures. You know what I mean? I mean, we've got, you know, upticks in California and Arizona and Texas, New York. Remember, they're doing the, the, the enforced face mask rule in Pennsylvania. But the stock market liked it. You know, they were still very optimistic. U.S. stocks jumped on better-than-expected jobs data, though gains were tempered somewhat by coronavirus concerns. Reading from the Bloomberg terminal, the S&P 500's rally extended for a fourth day and the nasdaq set another record treasuries were little changed with 10-year yields hovering around 0.67 percent and that is where i begin my exclusive interview tonight with democratic national committee chairman tom perez remember prior to taking this position he served in the obama administration as the labor secretary so he knows all about these job numbers and I wanted to know whether or not the economy is recovering fast enough and secure enough for his liking. Take a listen.
5: We won't have a recovery until we fix the pandemic, Kevin. Uh, that's the reality. Uh, I, I want people to get back to work as soon as possible. And I'm heartened that people are getting back to work. The challenge we have here is that until we fix the pandemic and and really do it at scale, uh, we're going to continue to see record unemployment numbers. The the job report last month, the, the numbers were driven largely by leisure and hospitality. That drove about 40% of the job growth. And the unemployment rate in leisure and hospitality went down to 28.9%. And we, these numbers don't capture what's been happening over the last few days. With the pandemic picking up, you're seeing other uh, leisure and hospitality and other businesses having to shut back down. And so until we fix this pandemic, we're still gonna be in big trouble. We're still down 14.7 million jobs since February. You look at the first time claims for unemployment, again, released today. We are at the 15th week in a row where the claims are more than twice what they were at the highest levels of the great recession. So I wanna get people back to work. We all wanna get people back to work, but this president's completely failed handling of the pandemic is gonna make that really hard.
2: Well, that's what I want to follow up with you on, because the president has made a case that in order to get the uh, economy back on track, there has to be some type of reopening. But former Vice President Joe Biden has argued that in order for there to be a recovery, the virus has to be under control. How do you reconcile that, especially at a time in which you're seeing in some states another uptick in the number of cases of COVID-19 how do you convince the business community, convince Main Street even, that that has to happen before we can get to a recovery?
5: Well, I mean, you, you talk to restaurateurs, and I, I, you know, I, I talked to one business person you know, and they, they said uh, something like, uh, we're just trying to figure out what we're going to do next week, what we're going to do tomorrow. Uh, th- there's no certainty here because there's no plan. Th- this president, when when you... Ignore science. I mean, a mask is not a political statement. A mask is a public health imperative, and the president has ignored that. So if you had leadership from Washington that was setting forth with clarity what we have to do, and this president is not doing it, we could get the economy rolling sooner. Look at other industrialized countries that have flattened the curve in meaningful ways because they took it seriously. This president hasn't taken it seriously.
2: Well, can I ask you two? I want to ask you two more questions, especially from a policy standpoint. It's something you and I have talked about before. When you look at what has happened going on in the UK, Boris Johnson has actually just approved another round of infrastructure stimulus in order to get the UK uh, back uh, to help the UK economy. I'm wondering if you think that there is an appetite here ahead of the election. there to be a major infrastructure package that Democrats would be able to get on board with with that, or if it's going to have to wait until after November 3rd? Well, I
5: think what we have to do is pass the HEROES Act. That's a major investment. Republican and Democratic governors are calling for aid for state and local government. I live in the state of Maryland. We have a Republican governor. He's the head of the National Governors Association. He's calling for the president of the United States to pass aid for state and local governments. I agree with that. That has to happen. The HEROES Act contains really important coverage. People who lose their job lose their health care. There's this thing called COBRA. You can continue to pay for your health care when you're unemployed, but people can't afford to pay the COBRA. It's very expensive. The HEROES Act has a provision to cover your COBRA payments. People are going to lose their unemployment at the end of July uh, unless something's done. That's what we need to do, pass the HEROES Act.
2: Well, and the of the August recess, you mentioned unemployment. This is the final question that i have for you sir uh, especially with minority communities especially with uh, lower socioeconomic individuals in this country they have been disproportionately affected from an economic standpoint Uh, as a result of this uh, recession. Uh, What can be done uh, from Congress before August uh, or just even in the short term from a congressional angle in order to provide liquidity to these small businesses and also some benefits uh, for these Americans? Well,
5: the unemployment rate for Latinos at the end of the uh, Obama-Biden administration was 5.9%. Today, it's 14.5%, two and a half times larger. The unemployment rate for African Americans at the end of the... Obama-Biden administration was 7.8%. Now it's double that today. Uh, The coronavirus has hit uh, African-American and Latino communities and Native American communities in a huge way. And what's the president's reaction? Let's undo the Affordable Care Act. Let's not support uh, aid uh, through the HEROES Act. Let's make it harder for small businesses to access PPP. You, You have story after story after story of small and minority-owned businesses who couldn't access the program while this president won't even release data on the big recipients because they're all his buddies. We need a targeted program that assists and the HEROES Act again would provide remarkably important relief that would help minority communities, minority business owners get back on their feet Um, People of color who disproportionately have uh, pre-existing conditions and other comorbidities, they need access to health care. We have a president that's trying to put a fork in access to health care. His failed leadership, what we have to do is at the ballot box in November, Kevin, that's where we're going to have to uh, solve these challenges because this president has been absolutely ineffective throughout this journey.
2: That was Democratic National Committee Chairman Tom Perez. He, of course, also served as the Labor Secretary in the Obama administration. Coming up, we check in with Keith Kroc, who is the Undersecretary of State for Economic Affairs. We talk all things 5G, Huawei, and Europe, working with the United States against the Communist Party of China on economic affairs. Download the Bloomberg Sound-On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. And remember, tune in to Bloomberg Television this weekend to celebrate the 4th of July where we'll be ringing it in with the Boston Pops. Who doesn't love the Boston Pops? It's the 4th, folks. Be safe. Be safe. Celebrate America. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1.
0: This is
1: Bloomberg's Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2.
2: I was talking to Chicky Cirilli today. That's my mom. Chicky Cirilli back in Delco. And she was like, Kev, I just want a hot dog with sauerkraut. And I said, "Say, Mom. Have one. It's the 4th of July. I don't care what you eat, what you don't eat. But you deserve to have a hamburger and a hot dog for the 4th of July july it is going to be a really 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 nice weekend this weekend if you live in dc or (laughs) or new york city you probably have been hearing the fireworks for a couple of weeks now they've been setting them off but let's not forget of course um those who serve our country this weekend and let's try to keep them in mind as well dog tag bakeries back open they are back open you know of course they're in georgetown and they partner with Georgetown University and they run a financial sur- financial literacy, not financial sur- financial literacy program to educate folks and veterans and their families to um, start small businesses, start small businesses. All right, my next exclusive interview tonight is with Keith Kroc. And we were talking all things about Hong Kong, which was a huge story this week, as well as Huawei. Because Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is saying that the United States collectively has been able to turn a corner in convincing some U.S. allies to stop relying so much on Huawei, Chinese Huawei, uh, to develop 5G platforms. We also talked about how to secure not just the international supply chain but the domestic supply chain and some new sanctions that have been placed against the Communist Party of China for their treatment of the Uyghurs. People in the concentration camps. So, without further ado, here is Keith Crock, the Under Secretary of State of Affairs.
1: A disastrous decision. Uh, you know, this is to eviscerate Hong Kong's freedoms uh, and imposing uh, draconian national security uh, measures. And, and you know, if you look at uh, this legislation that's been enacted. It is taking away all freedoms, including freedom of, of the press. They're basically uh, bringing in their forces. Uh, the reaction is really disastrous, and I think um, a lot of companies are really worried because I think it's their clause number thirty three uh, that they actually can take uh, non residents, and as you know, uh, they can take you know they can take it back to China where there's no rule of law. So I think. Uh, it's been such a great—it's uh, been a shining success for China uh, with the two-party system, and now it's a one-party system. And I think, you know, with this—what what has happened uh, by breaking this Sino-British declaration is, um, you know, they only got 23 years instead of 50, and, and it gets down to the—back to this issue— with the Chinese Communist Party of trust. You know, WTO, WHO, the United Nations. So, you know, that highlighted on top of the pandemic, it's, you know, how can you trust them for anything?
2: Secretary Pompeo, as well as Secretary Mnuchin, issuing some supply chain business advisory uh, as it relates to the Uyghur camps and the supply chains. What, How will that impact U.S. businesses?
1: By the way, you know, that business advisory, uh, Kevin, it goes uh, to anybody who's partnering, uh, investing, buying goods, supporting uh, from, uh, you know, products through the forced labor camps in Xinjiang. And these are some of the most serious acts uh, of human rights abuse since World War II. Uh, you know, the whole purpose of this is to force Uh, minority uh, groups to renounce their religion uh, and embrace CCP ideology. Uh, You know, in Silicon Valley, uh, we say corporate responsibility is social responsibility. And today that means refusing to participate in human rights violations and deals. And I think transparency is a key to making the difference. Um, You know, it's a fundamental business principle that... uh, Transparency is visibility and visibility uh, leads to accountability. It's a magical concept. So I think by shining the light on these business advisory, as well as coupled with the 33 Chinese firms now on the entity list with sanctions, many of them are the ones that are doing business in Xinjiang, it is incumbent uh, for boards of directors, conduct analysis, supply chains for financial institutions. Um, it's their duty to yeah. establish governance principles, investing in companies that violate human rights. And, and I think even more than that, it's a moral duty, a fiduciary duty to divest from these companies. So pension funds, university endowments, uh, the emerging index funds, mutual funds, insurance right. companies, venture capitals, companies should de- disclose what Chinese companies they're investing in and right. I'm confident that uh, American business will, will do the right thing. Um, so that's
2: what's, going on. that's what's going on as it relates to the Uyghur concentration camps. Now I wanna ask you about 5G because Secretary Pompeo also recently said that the U.S. had really turned the tide as it relates to Huawei uh, working with allies. What did he mean by that and how has the U.S. been able to do that?
1: Kevin, the tide has turned uh, toward trusted 5G vendors and against Huawei. And I think that's as citizens of the world are waking up uh, to the danger of the CCP surveillance state uh, on top of the pandemic, uh, Hong Kong, Xinjiang, which uh, the skirmish at the Indian border. And uh, in February, Huawei announced that they had closed 91 5G deals. Uh, best we can see, it, it's down to less than a couple dozen. Um, and I think they're just uh, evaporating.
2: That's Keith Kroc. He serves as the Secretary of State for Economic Affairs at the State Department. And, and honestly, folks, it's a name that I don't think many people realize, but he is really one of the driving forces on the issue of 5G, on the issue of dealing with Huawei uh, in terms of advising uh, Secretary Pompeo. He also has deep ties to Silicon Valley, uh, as well as to uh, the manufacturing portion of the country. He's taken several companies public and whatnot. So he's really one of those insiders that um, we're, we're thrilled to be able to interview because it really offers a behind-the-scenes look at what's actually happening in terms of geopolitical policy, especially on something so important as 5G. Uh, so, yeah. All right, coming up next, we talk all things politics and policy and 2020 with Mark Ross and Maddie Dupler. Jobs Day. Can't have a Jobs Day without Maddie Dupler. And usually it's on a Friday. I guess it's, it's Thursday, but it's technically Friday. Just a friendly reminder, folks. I have off tomorrow, as does uh, a lot of my Bloomberg colleagues. It is a, an official company holiday. You know? So we're going to enjoy it. Maybe I'll have a hot dog. Keep it locked right here. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Shout-out to Christine and Matthew Shirley for all of their hard work on the program. Keep listening to Bloomberg 99.1.
1: You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2.
2: What's your favorite 4th of July song? Do you go with Proud to be an American, a classic? Or do you go with Miley Cyrus, Party in the USA? Or maybe Perry, Katy Perry, Firework. Maddie Dupler, founder of Forward Strategy, senior fellow at the National Taxpayers Union, former coalitions director for the House Republican Conference. What's on your Fourth of July playlist?
4: You know I'm a Katy Perry fan, Kevin. (laughs) it's hard for me to say that Katy Perry is not top of the Fourth of July playlist.
2: All right. But, like, what else?
4: I like any pop-up tunes. You know this. It's like, I so my 4th of July playlist is like anything that gets the party going, put people in a good mood. So it's John like Mellencamp. Part of my run playlist, part of like John Mellencamp, part of, you know, some country on there. I am from Wisconsin, but there's a lot of country fans in my family. It's an eclectic mix, but it gets the party going.
2: Did you ever hear the mashup of party in the USA with um, Biggie Smalls?
4: Um, no, but I would love to.
2: All right, I'll text you it. It's um, Notorious B.I.G. mashed up with Miley Cyrus party in the USA. Anyway, it's a bop. Amazing. It's a bop, as the kids say. <laughs> Maddie! Go. Jobs Day. Beating expectations. Jobs Day.
4: Beating expectations. Well, you know, the expectations were all over the place. We didn't know which way this was going to go. 4.8 million. Kind of come smack dab in the middle of expectations. 4.8 million jobs added in June. That brings the unemployment rate down to 11.1%. You know, great numbers. We like to see month over month more jobs coming online. But here's the deal. With this job survey, it happens the week, including the 12th of the month. So it's the middle of a month, which was before we started to see infection rates spiking again. It was before we started to see states pause on their reopenings. So I think it's it's entirely possible that in July we see numbers start to stagnate a little bit. Now today was a double whammy on jobs. You know this, right, Kevin? We both got. Yeah the early jobs day report, but we also got the unemployment claims, which I think indicates that we still have a long way to go. We're seeing a plateauing a little bit of those unemployment claims. We're averaging about 1.5 million new claims a week, uh, which is uh, intolerably high. And when you add in those states that are still getting their pandemic unemployment assistance accounts online, those are the accounts created by the CARES Act, We've got over 31 million people who are claiming unemployment benefits still. So we have a long way to go before we can say we are fully in the throes of a recovery.
2: You know, we spoke about this with George C. yesterday of Annandale Capital when he came on the program. And, and I want to put the question to you, which is the expectation now is that the stepped up recovery will begin in Q3, Q4. November 3rd, obviously the big Washington, D.C. political date, but the timing of the recovery and when it really starts to accelerate and taper off uh, is going to be crucial to the psychology of the independent voter heading into the polls uh, on November 3rd. My question to you, Maddie Duppler, as someone who really knows uh, the juxtaposition of the economics and the politics uh, and the policy really driving behind all of this is, are economists did economists factor in an uptick in coronavirus cases in some of these in some of these states in other words were they were is this following some type of plan i mean when when all of this was happening and we saw new york city as the epicenter we knew that the virus was going to trickle throughout the country so were they able to predict this or did it catch people off guard
4: Well, so here's what I would say is that in a typical election cycle, right about now is when voters' ideas about the economy would start to crystallize. I think that's completely out the window. I think people are very much in a um, wait-and-see stance right now because I think you're right that there was a recognition from voters that New York – was different than, say, what we're seeing in Texas, in Florida. Now, I'm not, I think it's going to take a couple more weeks before there is a position that I think will um, be reflected in the political parlance, which is like whether or not this is a, a result of. People acting irresponsibly or just that when states reopen, we knew that infection rates would rise as well. Now, we, ha- we have to keep that in mind. And I think that that's important, which is that the whole reason we put the country in lockdown was to flatten the curve, which we did do. We didn't want to overwhelm hospitals. The product of opening up the economy was that more infections would happen. The question is and we'll know this in the next couple of weeks, is that if the infections happen too quickly and they become too severe, and then we end up back where we were scared we were going to be to begin with, which is with our hospitals overwhelmed and with the infection rate getting far and above what it would be just with, you know, a tolerable uh, testing rate. So, you know, I don't think those questions can be answered yet right now. I think myself as someone who looks at the economic data is looking between the June data and the July data as being really the moment where it's going to be – I don't want to say the inflection point, but it's going to be very, very important to the economic narrative headed into November. If it seems like the wheels have come off the train uh, when it comes to getting states reopened, that's going to be very, very difficult for the president headed into November.
2: I want to bring in Mark Ross, who's the founder of Caracol Global and business communication strategist working at the intersection of globalization and politics. And Mark, I want to pick up on this point that Maddie has said about how the business community has Focus not on the number of cases, but on the number of hospitalizations. Because really, what's driving the markets, and this is nuanced, what's driving the markets and the uncertainty is the number of hospital beds that are filled in the hospitals and how prepared the hospitals are. Because that is what is driving the information and the data pertaining to whether or not there is a closure. It's not the number of cases that are reported, it's the number of hospitalizations. And there's a difference, is there not?
3: Yeah, I know. This has always been like a, a kind of classic input problem, right? I mean, just a simple, how, you're spot on. Like how many beds are available? How many people can doctors successfully treat? And the problem with this virus in particular is the length of the disease could be anywhere from two to three weeks, possibly in four weeks for some patients. So you're looking at a disease that is takes up a lot of resources to cure the patient, so to speak. And I think what's also interesting about businesses, you know, business is, is, is not the right word in some ways, right? You have multinationals, which have a totally different footprint and kind of business outlook as opposed to kind of smaller, medium-sized businesses or even your local, you know, mom-and-pop restaurant. Um, I think business generally is kind of the wrong word because I think each each business has a special outlook as they try to figure out how to move forward.
2: Maddie, come in there. Pick it up there.
4: Well, so it's interesting. Um, I was actually thinking about this earlier. Remember how the last essentially two years, whenever we got a really positive jobs report, all of a sudden we'd have a negative market reaction because the notion would be, oh, my God, the Fed's going to raise rates because the, the economy is too strong. It's that yin and yang of whether or not you can hit the sweet spot um, on the data for the Fed to do what's good for equities. I think we're seeing a little bit of that now here, too, which, Kevin, I think you were right to call it nuance when it comes to uh, the speculation from the corporate side of things on what coronavirus is going to do. What's not nuanced, in my opinion, is what's going to happen to the political conversation. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious right now that the president's likely going to try to claim success in any way possible. Uh, Biden and the Democrats are going to say this was a disaster. Both are essentially strong arguments. We wouldn't know but for, you know, you can't know what doesn't happen. Um, So I think that it's important to keep in mind those metrics that both myself and Mark have talked about, which is, can the infrastructure that we have in place handle the infections that are happening? That is an important question that each locality and state needs to be answering, I think. Um, And then we need to know kind of like what the runway is on that. I think that the frustration for Americans right now is they just don't see – there's no end in sight to this back and forth about whether we're shut down or opening and whether or not we're doing it in the correct manner.
2: And Mark, the market – Correct me if I'm wrong, the markets want stimulus. And so I think there's also a lot of that going on that as the coronavirus cases uh, continue to increase and as more states shut down, does that not increase the likelihood for some of those skeptical Republicans on getting more economic stimulus for that to, to actually come to fruition?
3: Yeah, I think the federal government, the Fed, the European Central Bank, anybody with uh, any kind of responsibilities made it pretty clear that they're going to do whatever it takes to support and the economy Trump and moving said forward.
2: That. President Trump said that in an interview with Fox Business. He said that he wants to have some type of bipartisan uh, uh, economic stimulus, not to mention uh, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin and Larry Kudlow telling our very own Jonathan Farrow, my buddy Jonathan Farrell of Bloomberg Surveillance, saying that economic stimulus was something that was definitely in the cards. All right, Mark Ross. Maddie Duppler, stay right there because I want to ask you about 2020 as well as the timing of that potential economic stimulus. Download the Bloomberg on podcast on Apple iTunes dot Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Mark, what is your Fourth of July song? You have like 10 seconds.
3: I'm a child of the '80s, so you know a lot of U2, a lot of New Order. U2 uh,
2: isn't even MD. an American band. Oh my gosh, Mark, but we're coming, and I love the U2; they're my all-time favorite band. <laughs> but I'm gonna ask you again after the jump. I'm Kevin Surili. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. in America. I love it. You can listen to that for the rest of the show. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Happy early 4th of July, folks. Remember, you can tune into Bloomberg Television, which is going to have a um, special on the 4th of July with the Boston Pops. (laughs) Who doesn't love the Boston Pops? Am I right? You can watch the great fireworks, the greatest fireworks display. I don't know. I think Philly does. it. Hey, Philadelphia, my hometown, the birthplace of democracy, of freedom, folks. Uh, I was asking Mark Ross what his favorite Fourth of July song was, and he said you 2 U2 is my all-time favorite band. It is the intro song to the Bloomberg Radio Sound On show. However, they are an Irish band. So I'm going to try again, Mark, of Caracol Global. Go ahead. <laughs>
3: I'll recover and say Bruce Springsteen's born in the USA pretty classic. All right, that's a good one.
2: All right, and Maddie Doubler's here. She, of course, was the former comms director for the House Republican Conference, and we're thrilled to have her. Maddie, what was your favorite? You said Firework by Katy Perry. Firework by Katy Perry, but now I've been thinking about it. I
4: love me some CCR on 4th of July, but also "Meet American Boy by Estelle and Kanye.
2: Oh, that's a great one. That's a uh, good one, too. That's a good five. So box. I asked production. Nicholas Falco says Living in America by James Brown. Matt Shirley. <laughs> Matt Shirley said, honestly, Werewolves of London by Warren Zevin. I have no what? idea what that song is yet. Yeah. Okay, good. I'm not the only one. <laughs> Further saying that I am a dork Sorry, Matt. I don't know what that is. And Barada says. <laughs> <laughs> Christine Barada says under the boy. <laughs> under the boardwalk from the (laughs) drifters
3: that's nice
2: yeah volmer what what? charlie you did not and then charlie volmer said nothing competes with ray charles america the beautiful okay charlie you win all right anyway all right 2020 size it up maddie start with you what does president trump have to do to turn this around we're at the fourth of july this is when folks are starting to pay attention what's he got to do
4: Okay, so let me be very clear. I don't think that—I mean, this is this is obviously a very big challenge for the president, but I'm currently in northern Wisconsin. I am in Trump country right now. And the people who think the president has got their back continue to think, think that. And that's the whole reason they put Trump in office to begin with. And I cannot stress this enough. The more time I spend out in the Midwest, the more I realize what an indictment it is of the the establishment, regardless of political party. I mean— The fact that Trump is unorthodox on policy is one thing, but he's also an unorthodox character in the way he comports himself, right? Um, But that's, like, Americans like that. They like someone who's talking straight with them, and that's what they think they get from Trump. So that is never going to change, no matter what the circumstances are. Americans are still going to find this authenticity they think they have with the president as being the number one most compelling thing um, and why they put him in office to begin with. So, you know, frankly, I think that it's really more of a question of what Joe Biden does to lose the race. You know, if he continues, I shouldn't say he continues, if he gets painted as the archetype of a politician from Washington, I think that's really the nail in the coffin for him.
2: All right, Mark Ross, your turn.
3: Uh, I think Trump has to give a legitimate reason why he should be president for four more years. He really hasn't laid out a second term agenda. It's unclear to me what him and his team really want to accomplish if they get four more years. But, and cha- the challenge for this election as well for Trump is it's basically a referendum on him. I mean, voters are going to ask themselves, do we really want four more years of Captain Chaos, crazy tweets, erratic behavior, and no, no agenda? And I think that's a huge hurdle to suddenly come out of the 4th of July and say, here's my plan for going forward. Um, certainly, the Biden people have been very successful, haven't made any mistakes. People like Joe, it's all very favorable. Um, but can Trump really
2: give a reason for four more years like the jury's still out on that what about biden mark you know, go ahead no
4: maddie go ahead yeah i just want to jump in real quick and i was just going to say it is pretty remarkable even though you've got 30 million people collecting some form of unemployment insurance you've got the s p only down five and a half percent for the year so you got to imagine people are looking at that saying you know as if the, the job loss is still right now are somewhat contained. It's still a lot of people who think they're on temporary layoff who are going to go back to work. The question is whether or not those temporaries turn into permanent, which we saw a little bit of a, a move today. But, you know, I think that a lot of the country is still thinking, my personal circumstances look pretty good. If you're a retiree, if you're a pensioner, and the S&P is only down 5.5% and we're in the throes of a pandemic, that economic question gets a little less serious for you the closer we get to November. I, I think that's probably the
2: calculus a lot of Americans are making. All right. And Mark, what about Joe Biden? I mean, size him up as we head into Fourth of July.
3: Yeah. So we're 18 weeks away from the election on November 3rd. Uh, the DNC convention's in seven weeks. So if you, if you break it up into, into threes, right, there's basically going to be six or three six-week sprints. You can presume that Joe Biden is going to have a safe you know, DNC, DNC convention. He's going to have a very successful launch about his new VP candidate. So he should win the next sprint. Um, We've got a series of debates in September. And then can he survive what can be certainly expected, some kind of serious onslaught, a lot of Trump negative ads, et cetera, in the final third of the campaign. And the thing is, everybody knows Joe Biden. There's no surprises. He's been around for a long time. And I think if he can make the case that I'm going to put together a credible team to move the country forward and that I'm your off ramp off the Trump train, so to speak, Um, Biden should be successful, even if
4: he plays the same. Maddie. You know, again, presidential politics are coalition politics. So the question for Joe Biden is whether or not he can assemble the coalition that at least mimics the Obama coalition enough that it it, it can combat the Trump coalition. And that was always the appeal of Joe Biden was that he was the one who would get, you know, those Trump voters, those blue collar workers who turned Republican for the first time in 30 years because they liked the way Trump was finally talking to them. I am not convinced that Joe Biden, just being Joe Biden, is enough to do that. Because he also has to combat the fact that there's going to be an apathy on the left, on the, the you know the, the left flank, the same problem that Hillary Clinton had with people just not really wanting to go out to vote for her so they stay home. That coalition, to me, is still somewhat tenuous for Joe Biden to be able to beat the Trump coalition.
2: I find it fascinating because even at the cross tabs, Trump's still doing well on the issue of the economy, which d- defies conventional historical context. And I and I think, you know, we've got a couple of unknowns. We don't know who Biden's going to pick for for VP. You know, I was talking with some Biden world sources earlier today, and you know, they're they feel that they're that they're really you know having a good summer. I mean, by all accounts, they are. But I think it it really is going to be fascinating just to see. So many unknowns, uh, and especially where independent voters go on, um, on the economy. All right, we have to keep it quick. We have to keep it very quick, but I do want to bring back one of my favorite segments before the pandemic, which was what's on your radar. Uh, very quickly, in like a couple of seconds, Mark, what's on your radar?
3: I think the interesting thing that happened this week over in India, uh, they banned 59 Chinese apps yes. as some more retaliation for the skirmish in the Himalayas is also and protecting TikTok. their own nascent technology. you right, TikTok. Hey, if you're India, listening,
2: that's a brilliant one, and I want to make and I'm sorry to cut you off, but we just we we're pressed for time. That's my fault. But um, if you're listening, uh, folks, TikTok is banned in India because it because of their it's it's ruled by the Chinese. Brilliant, Mark. Um, and Keith Crock actually told us about that as well yesterday. Uh, Maddie, what's on your radar?
4: Uh, just real quick, there's a agency, the minority business development agency in commerce. I just found this out. Their whole mission, they've existed since Nixon, is to help minority owned business owners. So if you're a minority owned business owner, get in touch with them. They've got tons of great resources for you.
2: You know what I'm gonna say what's on my radar is Dog Tag Bakery because of all the great work yeah, that they do. With veterans, open, right? And they just reopened and um I don't know. They're my they're my buddies over there. Um and they do such great work. So if you need a cup of iced coffee this weekend, yeah. take Happy it all forth, in. Happy 4th, everyone. Happy 4th, Maddie. Happy 4th, Mark. Appreciate your time. And I'm going to end it early so we can listen to this beautiful song. Happy 4th of July. Thank you to everyone who's serving our country and has served our country. I'm Kevin Cimrily. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. From
1: sea to shining
0: sea